Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week we have Jeffrey Miller, and he's part of the Jeff Miller Band. He started playing guitar at five on his grandmother's cheap guitar that she bought him. By 12 years old, he was confident enough to play in public performances, his sixth grade show, Tell Hour at School, uh, where Mark Harrison and he played I'm Not Your Stepping Stone from the Monkees, and from then on, it just grew from there. So, Jeff, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. So... Give the listeners a little summary of your music origin story. How did you get started in music and kind of where it led you to where you are today? Sure. Growing up in Green Bay, it was a vibrant uh, rock and roll music scene. Uh, when I was, uh, as I said, uh, from 12, 12 years on, I had a, some, some type of rock and roll band in grade school, into junior high school, into high school. Basically the same guys all the way through high school. Uh, we moved our band out to Los Angeles to seek our fame and fortune. First album, Just a Thought, uh, which is uh, right here. And uh, very excited because the title track, Just a Thought, uh, was picked up by BBE Records out of London, England, and put on a compilation disc and album called We Are, uh, once again, We Are the Children Under the Sun. And we recorded that in 1977 in Los Angeles in Hoyt Axton's garage studio. And uh, from there, we continued to record. Uh, I continued to be in bands in different configurations as uh, members came and went. And now, uh, finally, at, uh, well, age 60 plus years old, um, I have my own band called the Jeff Miller Band, where I feature predominantly my own music uh, f- way back from 1977, the original songs from that album all the way through uh, a band that I had called alias Smith and Jones. Uh, we did all originals there. And now um, my latest album is songs for Sylvia, which is uh, an album about my fiance, all songs, again, original songs. And uh, so the excitement for me is that, this large record company in London, England, uh, literally thought this song that I put out in 1977 was relevant in 2023. Hmm. And uh, I, I got, you know, really nice reviews on it. And it once again kind of stimulated me to continue to make original music in my own, call it special vein, and uh, throughout my career, I've really tried very hard, and, and this, this may sound kind of strange, but not to sound like anybody else. Now, my influences go all the way back to Beatles, Stones, all the way up to current, uh, even rap artists, hip-hop. Uh, I have a, a hip-hop rap artist who is a frontman in my band, so we do, we call it folk rap, uh, okay. you know, kind of a combination. Um, so trying to be relevant current but yet sticking to my roots which is you know stones beetles you know the, the 60s where i grew up in right. uh, in that sense gotcha and that's where i am at i am located in green bay wisconsin and uh have played all my life 
throughout the world, but predominantly always centered around Wisconsin and, and Green Bay as my home base, unless living in another country or another another city. Okay, great, great. So obviously you've been playing for a long time now. You know, like you said, you're you're in your early sixties and so kind of give the listeners kind of like your experience experiencing like the local scene and playing out and how it's changed over these decades. It has changed as far as Green Bay because Wisconsin at uh, in the late 60s had what they called uh, beer and wine bars. And you could be 18 and go in. And the, the music scene in Wisconsin flourished for about three years when these bars were there because it was 18-year-olds instead of 21. And it was just a heyday. Uh, a little bit before that, the interesting thing is, especially in Green Bay, the surrounding areas, all of the junior high schools and high schools all had school dances. And we played every church dance and school dance and prom and, and not, we weren't a prom band, but you know, they would hire a rock and roll band. Right. And in the early days in Green Bay, uh, we didn't do any original. The original name of the band was called Justice. And the concept was, if we hear, heard a song on the radio, a hit, we simply copied it. We were a true <laughs> cover band. And, and, and we didn't care if it was Black Sabbath, Doors, or Beatles, or Stone. If they had a hit on the radio, we simply played it because we wanted to be popular in these different dances and, and, and bars, et cetera. And we were very successful, you know, living at home, you know, in high school, using our parents' car and practicing in the basement of one of the guys, you know, it was an ideal scene at that point. It's changed quite a bit as I got into obviously touring and, and a little bit higher echelon uh, situation uh, besides the costs of touring and the rigors of touring, um, obviously, uh, drug related situations came in, in, in the industry. And there was a lot of what I saw as confusion about where you're supposed to be. And I, I kind of retreated back then in 1977, when we were living in Los Angeles, rather than trying to be popular and trying to, uh, be a good cover band in Los Angeles, we said, you know what, let's do our own music. Let's write it produce it. We produced our own album independently. Uh, did we send it to record companies hoping they'd pick it up? Yes, but we were very unique at that time. It was kind of a folk, jazz, rockish, blues kind of combination. And again, it was all original material. So uh, I'll say we, we didn't have a huge amount of success, but we were very satisfied with doing that. And, uh, and people were like, Oh, well, you guys are really quite unique. And when they said, that's what we're shooting for. And I've kind of kept that uh, stance all the way through now uh, into my, shall we say, later days in my career. Right, right. And then what do you see now in, I mean, that the local scene is struggling with that you seem, or you see that needs to be um, more supported? Well, certainly in the original end, because uh, Green Bay's got some great cover bands, no question about it. And, and Wisconsin has a lot of great cover bands, and they're they're working. 
making money, you know, the, it's still a struggle for them too. Um, I think the, the economy of music has changed so much that the cover bands realize they really got to be good cover bands or the tribute bands. When right. I was a, and I've been a booking agent and promoter uh, throughout my career too, and uh, booked uh, tribute acts and was always amazed at number one, how good they were. And, you know, you see a Rolling Stones tribute and you go, wow, they're like as good as the Rolling Stones. But you know that the, the headset is, you know, they're copying that to get that feel so that the fan of a Rolling Stone can go and say, yeah, OK, I'm getting my Rolling Stone fixed. But, uh, you know, it's not costing me one hundred dollars or two hundred dollars a ticket. Right. Um, so that that end of it is kind of uh, flourishing because of that. And, and obviously, as a lot of these bands are, are no longer even in existence, uh, Doors or, you know, tribute bands that are doing bands that aren't there anymore. Yeah. I would find it very hard to be in a tribute band where the band is still touring. You know, the actual band <laughs> is still out there playing. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I literally am uh, involved right now in a recording project with Joey Mullen of Badfinger and Phil Solomon of the Rembrandts. Uh, we're doing a Chuck Berry tribute album, but oh. we're but we're not covering Chuck Berry like Chuck Berry would do it. We're doing it in a just ultra modern way, and and obviously uh, Joey had his favorite Chuck Berry songs that he did his way. Phil has his, and and some of them we're we're three quarters of the way through the project, and and they're just coming out incredibly good, but incredibly uh like if you hear sweet little rock and roller phil doing it and and just with all of the modern gadgetry and background vocals and you know something that chuck didn't have and that's kind of always where where if chuck had what we have to to work with now his records would sound a lot different right so we're, we're trying to make the ultimate gift for a chuck berry fan who's just going to go wow this is you know I love Chuck Berry. I love those songs. Uh, and and so I, we picked out our favorite 12 Chuck Berry songs between us. And I'm real excited about that project to having that come out. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's to, to kind of uh, couple onto your question. I think musicians now have to, besides pay tribute to their, their roots, the, the, you know, the, 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 the founders of rock and roll, the, where it came from, but but have to be in a modern context for the young, certainly the younger audience, but even the older audience who have said, hey, you know, if you do a Chuck Berry song, you know, done a three chords, and, hey, I heard that. I heard Chuck do it. You know, uh, give me something new. But I like the fact that you're you're using the roots, the the the, the basis of of that. Um, so I think that's important. How uh, musicians these days are either surviving or finding themselves frustrated uh, to be contemporary, but yet appeal to both an older audience and the younger audience. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, great for tribute and, and cover bands nowadays is, you know, going back to the roots, like you said, and, you know, your wheelhouse a little bit being a um, talent buyer. I don't know how much of that is your wheelhouse now, but going with bands of today and, playing original music like you're talking about on other projects that you're on 
what do you think talent buyers are looking for with original music bands to, you know, in order to hire them, what are they looking for? Do you think? Yeah, I, I, there's a, I, there's certain talent buyers, it, it, like if they're uh, a talent buyer for a festival, the festival has a theme, a vibe, et cetera. And obviously if you're, you're buying for a, a jam band festival, uh, a Grateful Dead type, you know, show, audience, et cetera. There's certain bands that fit into that genre and certain bands that aren't going to fit, aren't going to work. So uh, when I was a talent buyer, uh, some of my early uh, uh, shows, I used to bring uh, Chicago blues acts up to Green Bay, like Coco Taylor and Lonnie Brooks and Luther Allison. And these were the real blues guys in Chicago. Right. And, and, and bringing them up to Green Bay, obviously four hours away, not a, not a big deal, uh, affordable. And in a little club in Green Bay, these were great shows then because it was the real thing. You could, you could taste the blues, you know, you could, yeah. and, and at that time, Green Bay had a really strong blues market. So knowing the market that exists in a particular club or venue or, or festival, uh, very important. Uh, when I was living in Minneapolis and working for uh, Entertainment Services International, which is a classic rock booking agency, uh, we were doing, you know, Mitch Ryder and the Guess Who and Iron Butterfly and all these classic rock acts that I had grown up on. And, and many of them I had played their, their music and now I was their booking agent and uh, part of their management company because e uh, ESI is a management booking combination. Uh, interesting thing about Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, I point this out a lot of times to even musicians. In Wisconsin, you cannot be a manager of, of an act and be their booking agent. In Minnesota, you can be both. Mm. Just a little, little strange music trivia. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, the interesting thing uh, based on trivia is in our live show, we do a whole set of cover tunes and number one, we do them our own ways and not, not, you know, we don't try and copy, uh, you know, uh, sound like the record, but we, we play what we call money music trivia, where we ask a question or two about the song, play the song. And if somebody uh, uh, answers the question, uh, like who wrote this song? Uh, you know, uh, who played on this song, who is a special guest on the recording or what instrument, uh, like we do, we do, uh, are you ready for the country by Neil Young? And the question is what instrument did Neil Young play on that particular song when he first recorded it? And it sounds like a simple question. Uh, I'll ask you, do, do you know offhand? I don't know if you're a Neil Young fan or not, but, uh, even Neil Young fans have a tough time yeah, because- I because what I would think is either guitar or harmonica, because that is his main instrument, but I'm thinking it's and, not that. No, it's piano. Okay. Uh, one, one of the few songs that Neil Young featured himself on piano. And so we, we and, and, and we get the best response from people who come to see our band because they know we're going to do that and kind of, instead of just playing the song and also as a songwriter, I always try to, you know, uh, here's a good example, uh, a song called Mama Told Me Not to Come, which Three Dog Night had a big hit with. Right. Everybody assumes somebody in Three Dog Night wrote that song. Far from the truth. It's actually a Randy Newman song. And 
it makes for a great trivia question. And people go, Randy Newman wrote that song. Right. Wait a second. <laughs> you know, and, and so people, uh, and, and again, we adapted that as part of our show because, uh, you know, you see a thousand bands and yeah. very few of them do this kind of thing where they go, oh, you know, we want you to think a little bit about this. We want you to think about the writer or the instrument or how this happened, et cetera. Another great trivia question, which rarely anybody gets is, you know, the pusher, uh, you know, it was, it was the lead song in uh, uh, Easy Rider. Do you know who wrote the pusher? Obviously, Steppenwolf had the hit with it. Right, right. Hoyt Axton actually wrote that song. Okay, and I don't know who that is. Well, Hoyt Axton was, uh, uh, and unfortunately, he passed away years ago, but he was, uh, and, and I have an affinity to Hoyt Axton because we recorded in his garage studio, our first album in, right. in uh, Hollywood. Uh, he was a, uh, an American songwriter, and he he had a few hits of his own, uh, different hits. Uh, he was kind of a guitar playing, kind of folky country, you know, uh, hippie kind of, you okay. know, uh, genre. Uh, but he wrote some great songs for other people that were huge hits. And so once again, People really enjoy kind of going, I didn't know that. You know, oh, I learned so you know, like instead of just seeing a band play songs. So we 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 enjoy doing that. Uh, and so we're always looking for interesting, unique uh, songs. We do a, a lead belly song uh from way back from the 40s that okay. we you know do in a reggae style. And you know, uh, very few people know Lead Belly or the story behind them or the story behind that particular song called Give Me a Little Water, Sylvia. Uh, the song is named Sylvia. But he wrote it when he was on a chain gang in Texas. And it was about a woman who would come to the chain gang with a bucket of water and give the prisoners. And he wrote this, I'll say, beautiful song. But when you know the story behind it, you see, oh, those lyrics really mean, you know, it's not a, oh, give me a little water, Sylvia, give me a little water now. You know, right. it's not a, a, a light, easy song kind of thing when you know the behind context. The yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I remember watching, it wasn't a documentary, but they made a movie about Lead Betty. And I remember a little bit about that. And he also wrote um, Good Night Irene, too, right? Yeah, he, he did. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Rock, Rock Island Line. Uh, he wrote a lot of songs, but uh, again, uh, died. Uh, early fifties and, and was kind of forgotten for a long time. Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of, uh, try to find those real beginnings of the, of the music. I, I love blues and, uh, uh, but even jazz artists or, or, you know, folk artists, reggae artists, etc. cetera. Um, I, I don't say I steal from them, but I certainly borrow. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I think a lot of musicians, you know, you can only write so many chord changes before you're going to start repeating what other people have done. Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, so what have you seen change? I mean, besides the technology, but what have you seen change from making like your first few albums to the albums you're making now? What differences have you seen that are positives and maybe some negatives? Well, in the studio, I, I definitely have seen a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a dehumanizing, but, uh, in the early days, early recordings that I make or, or studio projects that I was producing, uh, it was really 
almost a live situation. You, you know, you had separation, but you know, you were playing together. And if you got that, you know, if, if it clicked, if it was there, you felt it. Hey, that was there. There's the take. And you couldn't versus now. And a, a lot of producers, and I, I don't blame them because they're good at it, but they like to uh, compartmentalize each thing. Okay. Lay down a drum track. Boom. It's there. Now bass player lay down bass on top of the, you know, and so it's, it's built uh, building blocks. And to me, that is less humanizing and less uh, musical to me. Uh, but, and again, uh, you talk about, you know, uh, some kid in his basement on a computer can do a whole album, you know, and play every instrument and, and, and never leave the basement. Right. I, I don't, I don't discredit that. As a matter of fact, because I'm old school and I, I, I when I was in my promoting career, when the fax machine came in, it was like a revelation, you know, so <laughs> that, that shows you how old, you know, I, I never really got into computers. I, I didn't take the time to learn. So when I'm in a studio, I'm, I'm very uh, quick to step back and let the engineer, uh, if, if we've hired an actual producer, I, I, I let them do what they know they can do in the method that they want to use. Um, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves in the studio, uh, which sometimes it, it, I get it across to the producer, uh, is... I don't like it when a producer will say, uh, okay, stop. I heard something there. Let's go back and do that. I, you know, I'm like, no, just let me play the song. If, if I, if I get it great, if not, I don't mind doing it over. I, right. you know, I, so there's two approaches, you know, you, you can piece it together and, and some producers can, you know, wonderfully do it. Uh, I, one of the reasons I love working with Phil Solomon, he produced uh, songs for Sylvia for me is Phil is the kind of guy he just says, give me all kinds of stuff. Just give it to me, play, boom, you know, it doesn't. And then he literally will take it and, it, it, and you know, put it into place. And, oh, I like that little piece. We put it here, you know, and, and, and I, besides love working with him, he's just, a, he's, a, he's a super talented. He hears things that I would never hear in my own music, you know, yeah. and, 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 uh, so, uh, th that's also, he's, he's producing the Chuck Berry, uh, tribute album that we're doing, uh, as well as obviously singing and playing on it. Um, and, and, and the guy plays every instrument. So it's like, if I say, I really like to hear, uh, you know, some, uh, uh violin, <laughs> no problem. It's on his key <laughs> keyboard, you know, yeah. how's that? You know, I, I, he's a, a musical jukebox and uh, a wonderful friend to both he and Joey. This this was a labor of love. We've been talking about doing this project for over 10 years now. Okay. When we at one time we were all living when I was living in Minneapolis, Phil lived there and Joey uh, lived there also. So we got together and we would uh, we formed a little uh, a touring uh, <laughs> pack called the Driftbenders. And it was Joey and Phil on acoustic guitars, doing their hits and backing each other up. And Jeff Miller was the opening act on my acoustic guitar. And these guys, you know, they'd come out and they had, it was like the whole show was just hit, 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 hit. 
and I'd open the show with unknown originals, unknown originals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the audience was like, you know, torn in two directions, but it worked really well. And we really formed a great friendship in that sense. Uh, yeah. Truly to, to the uh, nicest people I've met in, in the rock and roll business. And that's what's so great about music is that you get to collaborate with so many different people and you get to find people that are within your same wheelhouse or even not in your wheelhouse, but sometimes just the collaboration just turns into something amazing and magical. And it's just one of the great things about being in a, in a musical experience. Yeah. One of, one of, one of my all time career highlights and, and one of the few, few times I ever co-wrote a song uh, when I was uh, an agent in Minneapolis and booking Mitch Ryder, we uh, became uh, friends. And, you know, Mitch, Mitch was one of those artists that would actually call into the agency and go, hi, anything for me today? You know, what's going on? <laughs> it was really, you know, tell me kind of things. I'm, yeah. I'm, talking, to, I'm talking to Mitch Ryder. You know? <laughs> and so we were talking about this was uh, it was coming up on the five year anniversary of 9-11. OK. And we were talking. And he said, you know. It's, it's interesting how, you know, there have been songs written about it, but it, the, the anniversary is coming up. But, you know, it'd be, it'd be kind of uh, challenging or, 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 or kind of motivating to write a song about 9-11, but not about 9-11, about the concepts that we learned and, you know, the, the whole aspect. So we wrote a song called Flag Still Flies, and uh, the inspiration was literally – uh, when Craig Ferguson had a show on, on, on TV, mm -hmm. uh, I was watching it and, and the, the anniversary had come up and he was talking, oh, you know, CBS through a anniversary or a tribute, you know, a party in their back lot. And they had this big American flag draped, you know, on the side. And he said, you know, we're all standing there and people are giving speeches and et cetera. And the wind came up and the flag kind of, ruffled you know blue and everybody thought oh my god the flag's gonna blow off but it, it it stayed and he said and the flag still flew i said oh there, there's the title of the song the flag still flies you know yeah and and so mitch and i wrote wrote we were passing lyrics back and forth and we were doing a, a west coast tour uh and uh, uh it ended up in san diego and I said, Mitch, let's get a studio in uh, L.A. Uh, on our way back and we'll go into a studio and we'll do a, a rough on the song. Just get a demo and send it around or see, see what we got. And uh, Mitch was constantly writing or rewriting lyrics. And so was I. And uh, the, the day of the studio, uh, Joey Mullen was in there. We were doing something else in, with him in the studio. And I'm in there with my guitar and it's a three chord song. Very, pretty simple. And uh, Mitch had rewritten some of the lyrics of the song the night before. And so I start off playing the three chords and, I, and Mitch starts singing the song and I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm, it, and I literally was so astounded by the changes. You know, I, I couldn't play the, the guitar. I, mean, I just couldn't play. The, and, and Joey Mullen comes in and it was classic Joey Mullen. He goes, give me the guitar. You know, he, he just watched me play the three chords. And, and literally we recorded him playing the three chords, Mitch doing the demo uh, vocal. And we literally used that guitar part as the basis of the actual recording 
which that song appears on my alias Smith and Jones album uh, as flag still flies. And nice. it was, it was just such a great experience from start to finish um, uh, because of that. Uh, and again, I had really never collaborated certainly with, with even a, another local peer, you know, writer, let alone someone of Mitch Ryder's caliber. Right. Um, and so it was a complete, um, and it was also, again, Mitch is one of those people that I've met in the business that were just wonderful to be with, nice guy, et cetera. Uh, it would help you in any way you could. And, and obviously, you're telling me stories about uh, Bob Dylan picking him up on his motorcycle and going in for the blonde on blonde sessions, taking Mitch Ryder in, you know, showing up. You know, he's got the, the real stories. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, uh, that's what I like about the music business and always have. I've never, even in my younger days, when I really, you know, wasn't that accomplished, either musically or as an agent or a promoter, I I never felt, you know, restricted. I never felt, you know, people trying to keep you down. If anything, going, hey, there's room for everybody. Come on in, you know, but come in and show us what you got. Don't right. don't be afraid. And that's where um, I think. Going back to the question about, you know, like younger musicians now or younger promoters or agents or what anybody who's in the business, it, it can be almost uh, debilitating, uh, you know, uh, stifling because you go, oh, I, you know, I, I'm nobody here. There's all these big luminary. Everybody else is somebody, uh, you know, difficult. I wouldn't want to be starting out now. Okay. You know, I, so I, I'm I'm very thankful that I started out young at the you know I mean vintage and I think I played you know my first professional gig with an agent in 1968 or something you know uh, and classic story there you know I was playing a two night uh, uh, gig in in a bar off Broadway which is the street in Green Bay and sure enough the second night and we were we were all. 15 years old that we our parents had to drive us to the gig you know with equipment and our parents are there the second night and they're in the front row and we're we're playing and we did uh light by fire you know the doors okay. are gone light by fire boom boom and the, the the bar was packed when we started the song and also we hear like you know three couples our parents oh clapping and we they look backwards and we look out the bar's completely empty and two rival motorcycle gangs had decided that night to meet at the bar and oh. have a, and, and, and it was not a, a little bit of a scuffle. It was an all out, you know, guns, knife, chains, oh, police, geez. you know, but, but that, the, the funny thing, and, and, and this is a kind of a sidelight, but always throughout my career, there have always been police involved in our live performances, <laughs> starting with, uh, I've told this story many times. We were practicing in our drummer's uh, garage or in, in his basement in a summer day in Green Bay. And we said, we said, oh, let's let's move out to the garage and open the garage door. You know, we were all of 13, 14 years old at the time. And we're, you know, we're just banging away on, right. you know, whatever songs we're playing. We open the garage and sure enough, kids from the neighborhood start coming around and they're sitting in the driveway. Sure enough, police car pulls up. So you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was our first encounter all the way to 
we were playing in LA. We had got hired to play this big fraternity on fraternity row UCLA. And, and there's the, the, the big uh, houses, uh, you know, student housing and everybody's in the windows and the fraternity's got a big back porch and it's all full. There must've been 10,000 people, you know, all frat people, UCLA. Right. And we're playing, you know, we're just, everything's going great. Sure enough, the police come in, come through the crowd and start dispersing, say, hey, we're shutting this down. And now there's police standing in front of us and we're playing. And for whatever reason, I start going kind of riffing. Well, it uh, looks like the police are here. They're, I think they're going to shut us down. And, 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 and the police are hearing me and they're going, they're getting mad because I'm singing. <laughs> um, and, and the policeman literally, he pats his gun on his side and he goes, Oh, or, or I'll shoot. I said, We're done. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just interesting to me. And we played a lot of, you know, Kegger parties and yeah. backyards of people and you know police come so we've had a lot of police interaction so whenever i book a live gig i always kind of make sure you know <laughs> you got you got the permits i mean you know right I mean, right exactly we just got some new merchandise this is uh and i guess it's backwards but that's that's okay uh different things that um i have a uh uh younger daughter who's uh, 17, just turned 17, and indeed she's an artist, and she did all types of logos for me. Nice. Uh, that we had, uh, we found this uh, merchandise, uh, I guess, distributor, where you can literally pick anything, candles, hats, shirts, mugs, you know, uh, uh, stickers, everything, and you can just literally tell them, and then you, if you go to the jeffmillerband.com and go to the store, you can literally pick and they only print what is purchased. In other words, so it's not like you got to. And that's another thing about the modern day rock and roll band or modern day music business. It's come so far where, you know, in the old days, you had to buy a hundred shirts and you had to figure out, oh, I need 20 extra large. And, you know, and you always had too many of this or not enough right. of that. Right. Um, so we, you know, the industry has come a long way uh, in a modernization type way. And, and, and in some senses, other than obviously streaming, which is, uh, you know, again, I, 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 I've done live streams and, uh, you know, and I've got my music is available to stream off of my uh, website, et cetera, uh, and also to download. But th there's a whole difference between, putting out an album in the old days and you know, you got an advance and you know, if you sold a million copies, you made some money, you know, et cetera, all the things that go with it to now, you know, and again, this, this I, I enjoy this type of promotion and, and, and interaction uh, in the music industry, which goes on obviously continually and is wonderful because it gives access to anybody, you know, uh, big or small, Right to to, uh, to to go to a larger audience uh, that you wouldn't be able to, but at the same time it's uh, not the same. It's just, just <laughs> different, you know. It's it's different. And uh, over the years, I've kind of come to embrace it as much as I can. Um, even like just now, when you said, "Oh, just click on and come back," I, I had a little bit of difficulty getting back to you, you know, because I, I'm not so 
zoom zoom capability. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just a kind of a you know. Uh, and and the the good thing is is uh, again I, I still really just enjoy going out and playing music, regardless if there's a big PA system and you know great monitors and the video screens or sitting on a park bench with a couple of the guys and we're just playing for the people walking by. I, I still enjoy that just as much as doing you know real concerts or real gigs yeah. in that sense. Um, which, uh, uh, like Saturday, this this Friday, we're we're opening for uh, a band here in Green Bay called Unity uh, Reggae Band at Little Jamaica, and we're the o- opening act, and it'll be like three of three of the guys in my band and myself. And uh, the next day, we we're, were invited. Uh, somebody saw us at one of the farmers markets, and they said, "Oh, we're having a at T-Mobile. They're having a um, like a vendors fair." Okay. And they said, "Oh, would you come out and play?" And I said, well, you know, our band is not exactly, you know, uh, like cell phone, you know, uh, we're not great for you. But but I went out, I saw, I said, well, you know, you've got a little bench uh, inside that I'll tell you what, I'll just bring my harmonica player and my guitar. We'll sit on the bench and we'll play music for people that are there in the store. And 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 that'll be fun. And they oh, yeah. wonderful, you know, great. Uh, so, you know, that's where it, it, in I think the younger musicians are really kind of expecting that everything is big and modern and that's what they're looking for, which I don't blame them, but they really haven't experienced those uh, early days that a lot of the older musicians did where, you know, you sometimes you'd go out and you'd play a gig and there'd be 12 people in the audience. Well, you know, if you didn't like playing, you know, it was a bummer of a, you know, it just wasn't yeah. a lot of, you know, but, but uh, I, I, and I remember in, in my bio, I put it to, uh, in our early days, we played a, a birthday party for a young gal, and she, I think it was a sweet 16 birthday party, and we got paid $5. We were ecstatic, you know, yeah, it, was, right. it, it, it was great. It was, you know, a lot of girls, and, and we were, you know, 15 years old or 16 years old. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't, you know, it was, they want us to play, you know, we yeah. get the opportunity to play. And that's where I think a lot of, you know, uh, younger musicians are hesitant to just go out and play, make opportunities just to play. And uh, the biggest thing is, uh, and I, I use this uh, a lot of times when I play the pusher, and we uh, do the musical trivia uh, on that. Um, I, I learned how to play the pusher, the, the actual cording, the fingering of it. When John Kay, when I was a, a kid, first of all, we were into Steppenwolf. We played a lot of Steppenwolf in our band, but he came to Green Bay. Steppenwolf came. And well, of course, we're right up in front. And I literally watched him, his fingers, finger the, the actual you know, progressions of the pusher. Right. And I learned, learned that. And now honest to goodness, I'll play that song and I'll have other guitar players will come up and look. Cause a lot of times <laughs> I'll say, I learned this from John K, you know, cause it's a little bit different. It's a unique fingering of how he got that, uh, the, the, the chords. Right. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the good and bad now of unfortunately for younger musicians, they never got the opportunity to, to see these people, 
let alone up close and personal in their early days. Right. Um, I, I often tell the story. I, I was booking Cheap Trick as a bar band before Robin Zander was even in the band. They had a different lead singer. And when Robin Zander joined the band, then then we knew the band was 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 on its way. But, uh, you know, in those early days, those bands, it just was about playing. It was raw energy. It was we're, we're going to make it. We got the patience. We got the talent. All we got to do is just keep going. And that's kind of what I've told a lot of young players uh, when they approach me, you know, uh, oh, you know, you're. Oh, you're so good. I said, well, I've been playing guitar since I was five years old. If I'm not good now, <laughs> you know, I got problems, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I tell them, I said, you know, just truthfully, and, and I use this example, I still love going out to open mics. I really do. Uh, sometimes at one point there may be three or even four open mics in Green Bay. And, and I would, you know, no, on Monday night, I'm going to the Blue Opus for their open mic. On Wednesdays, I'm going to Fretz because they got a great house band and it's fun. I go in my guitar, boom, and, and play rock and roll, you know, and, and you know, carefree, fun, meet musicians. I say, go out and play as well as, you know, well, how'd you get so good? I said, you know, just play, play guitar, play your guitar, play your instrument, uh, don't stop playing. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, as a band director, that's what I tell my kids too. You know, you're only going to get better if you keep working at it. It's just like anything that you do. If you don't practice or if you don't, you know, have some fire behind you, you're, you're not going to go anywhere with, with what you're trying to get accomplished. Yeah. And also I, I tell them, you know, at a certain point, if, if it's uh, besides a struggle, but you know, you don't, like you say, there's no fire, there's no passion, then, you know, don't, don't do it just because somebody's telling you to do it. And, and you know, every guitar player thinks he's going to be, you know, Jimmy Page and all the girls are coming around. You know, right. if, if you're, if you're into it for that or the money, you know, you you got the wrong inspiration there. Um, and, and, and you should, you know, not pursue it then in, in that sense. Right. I mean, my, my dad has always told me it, it's all about the music. It's nothing else but the music, you know, if you're yeah. really into it. Um, as I'm getting towards the end of my questions here, um, is there when does this new album come out? When, when do you expect it to come out? Uh, the, the Chuck Berry album we're uh, projecting and we're going to use, uh, so to speak, the Christmas season and kind of promote it as. Uh, the ultimate Christmas uh, present to Chuck Berry fans. Okay. So we're, we're hoping by, by the end of the year, you know, uh, Christmas and, and into the new year kind of thing. Gotcha. And then do you have another project that just came out or is going to be coming out soon as well? Um, I, I have a project that I'm working on that uh, uh, literally is going on its 11th year of working on it. And oh, wow. it's, it's probably going to be about another year and uh, I, I'm calling it a look back from here, which is going to be um, I've re-recorded songs going back to even songs that I had written early before I even recorded or recorded them, those songs. And I'm making kind of a, call it a docudrama of my written songs my career as a writer 
from way back then to uh, I, I, like right now we, in, in this past year even and then uh, last year, we recorded four new songs, some, two of which were songs that I had written but never got around to recording, and two were brand new written songs with the, the band now. So uh, it's, it's kind of a progression from the beginning to literally right now. And like in, in, in a month, month and a half, I'll be in a studio up in Sturgeon Bay uh, with Hans Christian is pr producing the audio end of this uh, for me. Uh, and he's at uh, Studio 330. Um, we're going to be doing a, a, a two new songs, one that Tony Brown had uh, written and then g g said to me, you should do this song. And I said, okay, but I'm going to rewrite it a little bit. And then he's coming up and we're going to uh, do that song. So that'll probably be on there. And then the last song, which I've is uh, halfway done, but, but the, the recording end of it is done is that I reunited with the three other, excuse me, the four other original guys that I played with in high school. Oh, wow. And, uh, two live in Green Bay, one lives in Los Angeles, and one lives in Las Vegas. And I literally went around, uh, I had a song that I had written a while back, but with this project in mind called Now and Then. A song about, well, then we were this kind of band, and now we're this kind of band, so Now and Then. And that's what the song is about. But the, the goal was, is to reunite these five guys, record a song as if we had continued from junior high school and had gone, continued as a, a single unit. And now we were, you know, so to speak, a big, uh, big uh, famous band. And this was a, a, one of our, our current recording. So it's kind of a fantasy trip as far as a writing uh, end of my career, but it was certainly a fantasy and, and a very fulfilling one to go. Uh, and we've always stayed in touch and we've done some little recording projects here and there off and on, but not as a band unit. So it was really fulfilling to get back together, record this track with those same uh, us, the five guys together. And that'll be the last track on the, uh, we're going to make a DVD. So uh, for me, the the interesting part now is I get to take those songs, and again, the recorded end of it that that's easy to do. But doing video, because I've never released uh, videos of my songs, you know, a big produced production kind of thing for an MTV type video. Uh, I've never done that, and and truthfully, not that interested in doing it. But now with this. DVD, it's going to be literally all of that. And just to kind of give you the subtext of it, um, when I was uh, taking a writing class from a very famous writer named Sammy Kay, who was uh, from the 50s, he's a great writer and wrote a lot of hits for people way back in the day. Okay. Uh, I, was, I was taking a, a class from him, a writing class uh, at UCLA. And uh, uh, he literally started the class one day he took out a wooden stick figure, you know, like a, they use a bottling kind of thing. It's just a wooden stick figure. Put it on the table and said, okay, you've got 20 minutes to write a song about this. Hmm. And it was, it was 
like a, a stunning challenge to me as a writer because I'd never had anybody even present writing a song to me that way. And I came up with this song, which I open a lot of my shows uh, called Mojo Jones, the Ballad of Mojo Jones. And I wrote this song and presented it to him. And he said, oh, that, that's pretty good for, you know, for 20 minutes. So the the vid, the video and the DVD is going to start out with Mojo Jones, so to speak, coming alive. Okay. And then then he'll be kind of doing subtitles throughout the other songs. He'll kind of be my alter ego following me through my writing career kind of going, wow, I'm really glad you made me come alive and now you know, <laughs> going forward. So that's the concept. And like I say, we've got about, I probably got another year of video, mostly video work to do okay. on finishing that project. And uh, uh, the, the good thing is I, I've, you know, I've been, like I say, I've been working on this now going on 11 years and I've enjoyed the fact that, I, I don't have a record company. I, I have my own record company. I, I'm an independent artist. I, I don't have a manager. I don't have uh, an agent. So I, I go at my pace, and that's comfortable for me in that sense yeah. because, um, you know, I, I've, just, I've been in the music business long enough to see, uh, unfortunately, people who are just running, you know, to keep up with themselves and their careers. And, and they weren't having fun. You know, yeah. they, they weren't enjoying it. Uh, it was really a job and it was hard work for, you know, in that sense where I find music is much more spiritually energizing and uh, exciting and, and, and downright fun because I just still love to go out and play music, irregardless of the crowd size or the, the pay that I'm getting or no pay or, you know, it, it that those things just don't matter to me now. Yeah. Obviously, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense that I have, have had and always had a day job, possibly being a promoter, an agent in the music business and uh, not having to rely on the music itself to pay the bills. So thus it didn't have to cater to the, uh, shall we say the whims of the audience on that particular day in that situation. Um, so I've been very blessed that way. And I, and I, and I, I see that and, and appreciate that very much. And I also tell, you know, musicians, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to go out and make a living on your music. That's wonderful. You, you should strive for it. But if you can be free of some of those entanglements business wise, and 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 it, music becomes a lot more enjoyable yeah. to interact with in, in all senses. Um, and I I've I've written a couple of songs that I think, and and I I just literally uh, because of the uh, the sale of the, my one song just a thought to BBE Records, which they paid me very nicely for it. And uh, uh, the interesting story about it, I had never never sold nor even considered selling any of my songs to anybody else hmm. uh, number number one i think they're they're kind of unique to me and i don't think other people would kind of you know maybe want to cover them um and secondly i i'm not out there trying to write a hit so i, I didn't think i you know had that so when they uh, approached me and i literally got an email going 
are you the Jeff Miller with just a thought? And it was like, and it was from BBE records, uh, literally out of the blue. And I kind of said, yes, I am. How can I help you? And then the conversation, Oh, we love your song. Da da da. And the, the other interesting thing about that, besides stimulating me to say, Oh, you want to buy that song to put on a compilation disc? Sure. I'll, I'll I'd be happy to sell it yeah. to you, you know, uh, but I never, you know, I never considered it before that. But I, but I, I said to him, first of all, how did you, you know, how did you find me? That's on an album I put out in 1977. Yeah. And they said, oh, you're on YouTube. I said, no, I'm not. And I said, oh, yes, you this? are. <laughs> and, and, and somebody in France had had obviously had purchased the one of the original albums because they only printed a thousand albums. Okay. In 1977. Sent some out to record companies, uh, sent a, a lot out to radio stations, you know, gave some to the guys in the band to give their families, sold some uh, enough to get the money back that we it cost to, to do the recording. And uh, and that was it. You know, I, I, it was it was done. It was over. I moved on to something else. So somebody had either purchased or, or found or, or got uh, a copy and they're from France and they literally Put it on YouTube, the, hmm. my whole album. And I, I literally listened to my whole album on YouTube. And I know that they had the actual album because the visuals were the front cover for the first three songs. Then it turned to the back cover, which there was just pictures of the band and, you know, pictures that we take in L.A. And then inside there's an insert and uh, it's, it's over there. And 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 so and then the credits. So I, I literally watched the, the album just turn and, and I, I said, you know, and I looked at it was like 17,000 views at that time or something. And I'm going, like, oh, nice. yeah, uh, you know, but the, but these are all things that I never strove for, you know, and then right. what my goal was not to get a, any music on YouTube or, or anything like that uh, in that sense. So that stimulated me to say, you know what? I do have a couple songs. I have a, a song called all down the road that I literally have been saying and I, not, not mockingly, but, but it, truthfully, but in a, in a, a fun way, I literally put it on, um, on my Facebook page and, and on Facebook. And I said, I have this song all down the road. I hope, and I, and I'd be willing to let any big country act steal it from me, <laughs> take the song, have a big hit with it. You know, I, you don't need to pay me nothing. I, I, I'll, I'll sign off kind of thing. Cause it's a, uh, it's not like Willie Nelson on the road again, but it's similar in that sense. It's got yeah. a nice, and, and we usually play it at the end of our show. And it's about uh, if, if kind of, if one of us goes down a road as humanity, we all go down that road. And it was, uh, most poignant during the pandemic because it was again you know uh if one of us has got uh, covid unfortunately all of us can get it we're, we're all in the same boat that's the kind of the theme of the song right um so i've been stimulated to to now uh try and get some of my songs out to other people uh shop them around um Use some uh, song song. Uh, I guess they call them like uh, headhunters, uh, songsters uh, yeah. to uh, go to their artists. And every once in a while, I'll literally have a song. I go, you know what? If I could get this to so and so, and and I have sent songs to to uh, big artists 
uh, I gave a song to Emmy Lou Harris one time. We were doing a seminar with her. And the funny thing was, it's a song called Sweet Boy. And it was a song that I wrote from a woman rock star point of view. Hmm. How I came up with it, I, I don't know. But it just it just kind of came out. And it's about, you know, uh, like Emmy Lou Harris, you know, beautiful woman on stage playing. And a young boy, you know, looking up and going, oh, my God, she's so beautiful and talented. And that's what the song is about. So we're doing this seminar and she's doing a, a speech and I had given her the song and, and a, a tape of it prior to, and then she's doing the speech and I, and she hadn't obviously looked or read, read the lyrics. She's going, yeah, you know, I, I, I like, you know, hearing other people's songs and I cover people's songs and, you know, et cetera. I've done the, the, this song by so-and-so, et cetera. But, you know, I really don't like sweet songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's just my luck. Right, know. right. But she, well, she liked the song anyway, but that's not, you know. Well, I have to, uh, unfortunately, end this conversation. I have other plans. Um, will you come back when your um, the Chuck Berry album is done? Absolutely. Zach, I, I appreciate it very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And um, I wish you nothing but luck on your podcast in, in all senses um i i will contact you or feel free to contact me anytime okay. especially if you have an opening you can't fill as you can see <laughs> talking is not a problem no. for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. um where can people find you and i'll also put the information in the in the, in the details sure. of the show but real quick they can kind of hear it from you where can they find you uh best place is the jeff that is my official website all my information is there, contact information, my telephone number, address, etc. I'm, I'm not hard to, to find, get a hold of. Um, and otherwise, Facebook, uh, I have a Jeff Miller page, just personal, that I uh, is much more personal. And then the Jeff Miller band uh, on Facebook also is, and then that's strictly about what's going on uh, with the band. And uh, I, I administer that versus my website, uh, I've got a marketing uh, company out of Chicago called Cyberpunk Marketing, and they do all my web uh, design and, okay. and uh, f uh, facilitating my web. Because truthfully, if if I had to take care of my own website, it'd be like, <laughs> you know, sometimes I have tough time. And, and and truthfully, I don't even own a computer. I I, I got to be honest with you, and I've kind of avoided that. So having a cell phone and being able to do this. I, I, I am reassured, fulfilled, and you've once again made my belief in myself that I could be <laughs> in the modern age yeah. without without stumbling too badly. Right, you know? right. So, again, I appreciate the opportunity, uh, and uh, anytime you need me, I'm available to you, Zach. Sounds good. Nice to meet you, Jeff. And Thanks, uh, we'll, man. We'll talk soon, so thank you so much. You bet. 